many of our young men, when they went overseas to Vietnam during the Vietnam War, came home frustrated. They would tell tales of their bombers flying over the jungles of Vietnam with a capacity to carry tons of bombs and destructive equipment, but having been told that they were to take one 250-pound bomb, find a trail and follow that trail until they found one Vietnamese man with a donkey or an oxen that would be carrying some hand grenades or shells on the back of that and try to hit them with one 250-pound bomb and come all the way back. They would come back with tales of saying that when the communists would come out of the jungle and attack them from the other side of the border, come into Vietnam and begin to attack them, they would begin to fall back and they'd call for mortar shells. And they'd begin to lob mortar shells in to stop them from attacking them, but when they finally would get the victory and begin to chase them, they'd say, now lob the mortar shells on them so they can't retreat, that they would not lob the mortar shells on them. They would let them get back across the border to regroup and come back against them. And they came home totally frustrated. They said, our hands are tied behind our backs. Our feet are tied. We have blindfolds on. Or we're going in with just a partial amount of weaponry and shells. If we're supposed to win the war, let's win the war. And they were totally discouraged. And as I heard that, I thought, you know, that's just the way I see the church of Jesus Christ today. Someone said it a long time ago that the problem in the church today is that there are a lot of people who have just enough religion to make them miserable and not enough to make them happy, enough to, to bug them but not to bless them. They know what it is to know why Christ came and why he died, and they've got this mental understanding that they've accepted him in their heart, but they're frustrated because they're continuously having defeat in their life. And God has a truth in his word for us that can bring us victory out of defeat. We already have the victory. You know, it's a real discouraging thing for a nation the size of the United States to fight a war in a place like Vietnam and come away saying we won when we knew we lost. Saying we won as our men were fleeing out through the roof of the American embassy, climbing on helicopters and trying to get out of there before the communists got in and caught the last of them. Saying we won when we left billions and billions of dollars of weapons airplanes and trucks and jeeps and bombs and mortars and everything sitting in the middle of the field for the communists to come in and take over and use now against the other nations around them in the domino effect. Today the church sings like a mighty army moves the church of God. If that were true, like I told you before, there'd be an awful lot of Christians that would be AWOL and have to be put in the brig because we're in, most of the churches are not moving like an army today at all. They're in disarray and the reason for it is the enemy has done his work. Father, in Jesus' name, minister truth to our hearts tonight. Make us to begin to comprehend what the message of the gospel is all about. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We just ask tonight, blessed Holy Spirit, that you'll come and give us ears to hear and hearts to understand and wills to respond to truth. To begin to act upon that which you've given us as believers in Jesus' precious name we ask it. And for his sake, amen. I told you that in creation, when God created the world, after he created man, he told man to take dominion over all the things of the earth. Look in Genesis, the first chapter, so you just, you see what I'm talking about here. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created him male and female, created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over everything that moveth upon the earth. God says, I give you total dominion over it. I give you power of attorney. You do what you want to with it. Name all the animals. Take complete authority, subdue it, and have dominion over the whole earth. And then he put the one restriction on Adam that he was not to partake of the one tree in the garden. And when Eve disobeyed and took that fruit and then Adam followed her in disobedience, God said in his word, in the day that you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, Adam and Eve did not die physically, but they died spiritually the day they partook of that tree. And Satan took power of attorney, took the right away from Adam to be able to control the earth and dominate the earth and subdue the earth and bring all things into his own order. Consequently, because of that fall and the power of attorney being turned over to Satan, the Word of God in the New Testament describes Satan as prince of this world. In John 14 and John 16, talks about him being the prince of this world. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it talks about him being the god of this world. In Ephesians 2, 2, it talks about him being the prince of the power of the air. He took power of attorney over the earth away from Adam, and Adam fell and became the servant of Satan. Now, the Word of God, in time and time again, explains that that's exactly what happened. Now, not as an accident of history, but in God's divine plan, the Scripture says, in the fullness of time, God sent His only Son to die for us. God didn't just say, well, it may be a good time right about now, but according to His divine plan, He sent Jesus Christ to restore all that Adam lost. As in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive, the Word of God said. He came to restore everything that Adam lost back to God. In his perfect living, he proved that he was obedient to God. He revealed the Father. He performed miracles. But the greatest purpose for which he came is 1 John 3, 8, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now when Satan saw the work that Jesus Christ was doing and kept trying to stop it, Finally, he was able to get one of the disciples. Satan entered into Judas, and Judas betrayed Jesus Christ. And when Jesus was taken before Pilate, the crowd became totally illogical when you think about it. Here was a man, if, if they were to bring a whole line of true witnesses up on the stage, they'd say, well, he healed me, he caused me to see, he caused me to hear, he raised my son from the dead, he did all these things. But when Pilate brought him out to release him, he says, Whom shall I release unto you? The crowd began to cry out, Release to us that robber, that thief, Barabbas, and crucify the Son of God. The hosts of hell began to rejoice. They said, now we've got him right where we want him. And as the cat of nine tails was laid to his back and he was lacerated and as he was nailed to the cross and as he raised up his face and said, it is finished, I'm sure the hosts of hell said, we have done it, we have done it, we have done it, we have destroyed him, he is finished. He didn't accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. Look at Colossians 2.15 with me. We could actually start back to 12 where it says, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Beginning now with 13. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having what? Spoiled principalities and powers... He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. For three days, Jesus Christ, the Scripture says, descended into hell, and hell could not keep its prey. During that time, the blood of Jesus was being delivered to the altar in heaven. And upon its arrival at the altar in heaven, God spoke out and said, The blood of my Son is acceptable. I will receive that as a sacrifice. 
And when that final work was done, the word of God tells me that he was able to break loose from the bounds of hell and to ascend up from hell. And he appeared on the earth and was a witness before many in his day. And then he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he becomes our high priest and he prays for us as Lord of lords and King of kings. Far above, the scripture says, all principality, all power, all the rulers of the darkness. Now you've got to get this in your mind. When Jesus died for a distinct purpose of God, he rose from the dead, he ascended up to the right hand of the Father, far above all principalities, and before he left, he made this statement. What he's actually saying is, I have bought back the power of attorney on earth. For now, all power, all authority is given unto me, both in heaven and on earth. I hold the power of attorney on the earth. I have defeated Satan already. It's already done. Unless you and I get that down into our heart, we'll never begin to understand the purpose of the church of Jesus Christ on this earth. Jesus said, Satan took it away from Adam, and I have come back now, and all that power and all that authority is mine. I have already, what did he say? Triumphed over the principalities and the powers. I've spoiled them. They're through. They're finished. They're defeated. Read the last chapter, the last book in the Bible. Satan is going to be cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet already are. Jesus does not have to come back and defeat him again. He's already defeated. In that last day, he says all he's going to do at that time, at one time, is bind him with chains and cast him in the bottomless pit. When he brings him up out of there, he's going to say, okay, that's enough of that. Now I'm going to throw you into the lake of fire. Does that sound like he has to fight him again? It's already decreed. Jesus Christ is Lord of lords and King of kings. Get that down in your spirit now. God sent him to spoil the work of the devil. Now, look at John 17. By the way, let me ask you something. When God the Father sent Jesus to earth, to do his ministry on the earth to spoil the works of the devil, do you think he gave him enough power and enough tools to do the work? Or did Jesus have to keep sending back for more equipment? All right, now, let's start with verse 14. I have given them thy word. Who's he talking about? His disciples, wasn't he? I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Now, what is he saying? He says we're both in the same classification. I'm not of the world, they're not of the world. Let me ask you something. Are you of the world? And we're in the same classification, aren't we? Let's go on. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. And just write one right after that. That's what it actually is in the Greek. That thou shouldest keep them from the evil one. Father, keep them from the evil one. Okay? Just write one right in there. That's in the Greek. Now, let's go on. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so. Read that again. Even so. Now, what does that mean? Just like that. Exactly the same way. There's no difference between the way you did it and the way I'm going to do it. Isn't that what he said? Now, get that down in your spirit. Even so, in the same way, exactly alike. Check how I was called and how I was sent and what my purpose was and what my calling was and what my ministry was. Even so, have I also sent them into the world. For this purpose came the Son of God that he might, what? Destroy the works of the devil. Even so, have I sent them into the world. Even as you called me, Father, I call them. And Jesus said in this high priestly prayer, I'm not only praying for these, but for those that shall believe on me through their preaching. I don't know about you, but I am one of those that he prayed for. 
And he said, even as God has called me into the world, now I'm calling them into the world. He didn't say it's only got a 50-foot extension cord, and after that, the power goes off, and the rest of you are going to have to go on your own. He said, I'm going to go with you, and he is power. Dear heart, that word power in the Greek is dunamos, dunamos. It means, the word today, dynamite. You shall receive explosive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. God wants you to be dynamite for him. Satan wants you to believe that you cannot possibly be dynamite. He wants you, as the father of all lies, to tell you that it isn't for you today. You're too carnal. You're too weak. You just can't possibly have that. If God told you that you and I are supposed to be dynamite, do you suppose he failed to give us the proper equipment to do that work? You think we have to keep going back for more equipment? Or has he already made it available to us as believers? Now, listen, don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to go around telling you that Satan isn't powerful. Any guy that can influence one-third of all the angels of heaven to be swayed, to leave all the glory of heaven and to rebel against God and try to commit treason and overthrow the throne of God, that guy's got to be pretty powerful. He's not all-powerful, he's not all-knowing, but he's powerful and he's very knowing and he's very wise. And by the way, he's got about 6,500 years of experience in warfare over us. And I guarantee you, I never go out and shake my fist in the devil's face and say, come on, buddy, I'll take you on. I don't pull that kind of foolishness. He is powerful, and that's why I know as a believer I can't go after him as Joe Webb. But you know something, that every time Jesus healed someone, and every time Jesus delivered someone, and every time Jesus raised someone from the dead, he was invading Satan's kingdom and spoiling his work. And it made the devil very, very mad. Jesus did the work of God in two specific ways. First of all, people came to him with faith, and he ministered to them. At other times, he just simply spoke the word of faith. Example, remember when the centurion came to him and his servant was very sick? And he said, will you come and heal my servant? Jesus said, I'll come right with you. And the centurion said, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, wait a minute. He said, I'm sorry. He said, I'm a man of authority, and I understand what it is. I say to one man, you go here, and another one, you go there, and, and they do it. And I know that you're a man of authority. You just go ahead and speak the word, and it's so. Jesus said, go ahead. He said, your servant's healed. Can you imagine how the demons of hell must have jumped up and down and screamed and rolled on the floor and just bellered? Jesus spoiled the work of Satan just with a word. Now remember, though, he didn't say anything except the Father told him. He didn't do anything except the Father told him to do it. You say, well, Brother Webb, what do I do? Well, number one, you start with this. What does the Word of God say? What can I say about healing? What does the Word of God say about healing? What can I say about deliverance? What does the Word of God say about deliverance? You don't have to wait around for a special, specific word for that. It's already written there. What do I have to say about going to the mission field or going out and winning people to Jesus Christ? It's all written there. It's written in the Word of God, and that's our authority. If you want to know whether you have authority to do these things, just read it in the Word. There's my authority. Now, upon the authority of God's Word in Jesus' name, that's what Jesus did, what the Father told him to do. Please, dear heart, please understand, Jesus was doing this to show us what our ministry was to be. Even so have I sent you. This world is bound up with men and women who know that there ought to be freedom and know that there ought to be victory, and they don't understand why there isn't victory, why they can't have victory, because Satan has made them to believe that there is no victory today. Jairus' daughter... Jairus came and said, Lord Jesus, my daughter is nigh unto death. Can you come? And he says, I'll come. You know, it's interesting how many times Jesus ministered by accident more than on purpose. As he was walking to go to Jairus' home, 
he was going through this big crowd of people that were there to see the miracle. Jesus said it was the wicked and perverse generation that seek after signs, and that's all they were doing. They wanted to see another miracle. But as Jesus was walking along, he stopped right in the middle of the big crowd and said, Whoa, who touched me? Peter says, you've got to be kidding. Who touched you? He said, man, I, I, I just can't even move. I'm so crowded here. Jesus said, no, somebody touched me. And he turned around, and he found this woman who had had an issue of blood all these years. And she knew, I imagine, according to some theologians, they think that what it was, it was a cancer. There was a, an issue of blood, just bleeding and bleeding, and the doctor finally said, you might as well go home and die. We can't do anything for you. Might as well give up. She said, I've heard about this Jesus. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, if I can get a little tassels on the bottom of his apparel, and they call them crespidons, and that's the Greek word it actually was. If I can just get a hold of one of those crespidons, I know I'll be made whole. Now that's faith. He spoiled the works of Satan just by her faith reaching out and touching him. You say, well, that was the Lord. Yeah, but how about Peter later on in the book of Acts when he walked along, the word of God says, they'd bring the sick out in the street and lay them there so that when Peter would walk by and his shadow would fall on them, they'd be healed instantly. Jesus said, daughter, thy faith, thy faith, thy faith in me hath made you whole. Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. Let me tell you something. I'll bet you when Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead, there was real pandemonium in Satan's kingdom. He just walked over to this daughter who had already died, and they all said she's dead, and he said she's just asleep, and they ridiculed the Lord. He told everybody to get out except just a few, and he says, Daughter, arise. The works that I have done shall you do also, and greater works than these shall you do. God is restoring to the church power, to the church. Not this building, you! John eleven forty four tells us about Lazarus. I've heard people going down under the power, but Lazarus came up under the power. Lazarus was bound hand and foot like a mummy. Just like a mummy. Even a napkin over his face, and Jesus said, Lazarus, arise. Right in the door, standing up in the door, a mummy. John eleven forty four. And he that was dead came forth, what? Bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said, loose him and let him go. I would like to just make an application here. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ today is a lot like Lazarus was when he came up from the dead. They have new life but they're still bound hand and foot. And Jesus wants them to be loosed and let go so they can begin to manifest the power and life of Jesus Christ in them. Luke 10, verse 17 goes, These were the 70 disciples that Jesus, not the 12 apostles now, 70 disciples, 70 believers that went out. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven, spoiling the works of Satan. Behold, I give unto you, 70, power or authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Write that down. God says, I give to you, 70 disciples, you believers, I'm giving to you. I am, I've got authority. I've got power. I'm giving to you power and authority over all the powers of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, is that for us today? None of them have gone to Bible college. Now, watch it. None of them have gone to seminary. In fact, there are a few old, ignorant fishermen who didn't even have a decent education in there. One was a despised old tax collector. And I could go on ad infinitum as to the background of these men. And Jesus said, I give you. Not men give to you. Not a seminary gives to you. Not a Bible college gives to you not an education gives to you, I give to you power and authority over all the powers of darkness. Church, please hear me. God's telling us something here. 
that we can begin to walk in the power and authority of Jesus Christ. He gave it to the church. Don't let Satan take it from us. He's stolen it from the body, but God's restoring it to the body. Now, do you think that God is going to limit it if we've got it? If we've received it, can't we give it? Do we have to come to this building to get it or to give it? Can we do it everywhere we go every day? In Isaiah 54, 7, God spoke to the prophet and said, No weapon that's formed against thee shall prosper. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians a very interesting thing about our weapons. Now, this is just for believers. If you're a believer, these are the weapons that are prepared for God's people. If you've repented of your sins and trusted Christ as Lord of your life, these are your weapons. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds or fortifications, casting down imaginations or all reasonings. Now, you see, Satan is going to try to stop you from having this authority and being able to use these weapons through reasoning. Well, now, you know really who you really are and your weaknesses and so forth. And every high thing or tall building that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. He said, you have some mighty, mighty weapons here to use that will, first of all, pull down the strongholds, cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. He said, now those are the weapons that I'm giving you. They're not carnal, but they're mighty through God. And Satan cannot violate Christ's authority. Now, let me stop and talk to you about that. Jesus Christ said he had all power and all authority, and he cannot lie, can he? God cannot lie. He's absolutely faithful and true. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Satan cannot violate Jesus Christ's authority. Jesus Christ has already established that authority, being seated in heavenly places right by his Father, far above all principalities and power. That's just settled forever, isn't it? God says that he has set up a kingdom that is in this earth and we are only pilgrims passing through, but we represent his government. We're his ambassadors. And when he gives us a message, when you preach it, you preach it with the authority of Jesus' name. They look at who stands behind my words. They're not looking at you. They're looking at the badge of authority that you have. Some preachers get in the pulpit today and say, well, some people say and some people say and this writer says and that writer says. You feel like saying, buddy, get down. If you haven't got a message, get down. Satan has been defeated by the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I represent Jesus Christ, and you and I represent the victor. Can you just get a little badge in your mental image and put on there, ambassadors of the kingdom of God by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ? And when you get up in the morning, say, Father, not my own righteousness, but by the righteousness of Christ. I am made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am representing you today wherever I go. And if you'll tell me what to say and when to say it, by the authority of your word, I will speak it, and I will begin to believe that the authority that stands behind my name will make those things be as they ought to be. Satan's not afraid of me, but he's afraid of the authority that stands behind me. Jesus stands behind me, the Father stands behind him, and all the angels of God stand at his beck and call. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. Now, I could get into an awful lot of examples of that and tell you that I've seen time and time again when God has performed that protection over God's people. I've seen it, and I've heard stories of missionaries that have had it. And I know there's been times when God's protected us and we didn't even know about it, and we fail to recognize that that's just the surface that we're seeing. That truth is so much deeper, and if we will begin to step out by faith 
and believe what God's Word says concerning us and act upon what God's Word says concerning us that we'll begin to see the end result and begin to do the ministry that God's called us to, that the Lord has sent us to, even so have I sent you to destroy the works of Satan. Look at Mark 16, 20. Let's look at a few of these words of authority. To the 17th verse through the 20th verse. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name, shall they cast out devils. Every time it's in the plural, it's actually in the Greek demons, demonos. Shall they cast out demons? They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Who's going to have that happen? Those that believe. Now there's a message in itself. Those that believe. These signs shall follow them that believe. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, who said that to them? The Lord. The one with all authority and all power. Now he said, and he cannot lie, this is what's going to happen to you when you go forth and believe. I've given you this power and I've given you authority over all the powers of darkness, over all the dominions and all the principalities. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God and they went forth and preached everywhere. But look what else it says. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. So be it. Matthew 10, verses 7 and 8. This is when the twelve were sent forth for the first time. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely ye have received, freely give. Anything? Now give it away. Turn over to the 18th chapter of Matthew, verses 18 through 20. Verily I say unto you that whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Does that sound like you have authority? Whatsoever you ask. I don't believe there's one request that Jesus made that he didn't get an answer to. As the Father hath sent me, even so send I you. The same ministry, the same calling. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. There is no power like Jesus has in heaven or in earth. His is all-powerful. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even unto the end of the world. Amen. That's the Great Commission. He said, now I'm sending you forth having all the power and all the authority and you're going in my name and you have that power and authority behind you. You have that badge of authority and if you'll just believe in it, you will be able to do the ministry that I've called you to. Every government has a set of rules. It has an order about it. It has this something to authorize and to empower it to be able to operate. Every kingdom that I've ever seen established has to have some set of rules. They can say, well, this is legal and this is illegal. And in the United States, we call it the Constitution. In the Constitution, it says if our nation has ever attacked, that our government has a right to defend itself and to call out the army and have them defend itself. Now, you know, it's a ridiculous thing to have authority and not use it. Can you imagine a nation having the rules and regulations, and then when things begin to go against those rules and regulations, say, well, yeah, it's there, but we really don't have the authority to say anything or do anything about it. That kingdom will not stand. Satan knows that you and I have power and authority in the name of Jesus. Do you know something? Satan even gets more afraid of the almighty power of God than people do. Scripture says that Satan fears and trembles. He believes that Jesus is the Son of God and he trembles. He knows that. 
and he knows that because of the name of Jesus Christ that you and I have authority and we have power to destroy his works. He knows that. But contrary-wise, he's not worried unless he knows that you know it. Let me tell you something. As long as he can keep Christians asleep and just let them play church, he's not going to get too upset. But when they begin to say, hey, I've got a tiger by the tail, I've got a tiger in my tank, and I'm going to begin to operate as though I've got a tiger in my tank, then he gets a little bit upset. Now, the only time he's going to really get worried is when he begins to understand that you have learned how to use the weapons that God's given you. That's when he's going to get concerned. And I believe it's going to be starting by this very truth getting down into the hearts of our believers in this church. God's saying it's time to put away the games. And it's time for us to begin to realize, first of all, as Christians, if I have that power and I have that authority and other believers around me do, then I am at any cost, I'm going to get free. You know, Jesus sent some other people. He didn't take the bandages off of Lazarus. He sent others up and they unwrapped him and took the napkin off of his face and they unbound his hands and his feet. And God has placed within this body of people those that know how to set people free in the name of Jesus. And if you're bound hand and foot with a napkin over your face and you just know that you want victory and you can't have victory, I want you to know there's victory available. You can be free. I mean gloriously free. And then once you're free, you can set others free. And when people start getting healed and saved in the front of people, the word's going to go around, God is at work in that people. God's at work in that people. And I encourage you to begin to spend time in prayer and ask God to get this message down in your heart and then prepare your heart to be ready to use the weapons that he's given us when we find out the key of using those weapons. People aren't the least bit interested in what you and I are doing for God. They want to find out what God's doing for us. If God's doing something for you, they want to get in on it. Father, in Jesus' name, how I thank you for this body of people. Lord, I thank you that we can't go around with our thumbs in our armpits bragging about the beautiful facilities that we've had, but we thank you for these facilities. Lord, I thank you for the people. I thank you that their hearts are open and they want to know what your word says, and I believe, Lord, they're going to act on it. And we're going to see miracles. And I thank you, Lord, for the response of this congregation. We're going to, by faith, in the name of Jesus, declare that you're going to get glory through a miracle for China. In Jesus' name, we speak the truth. Lord, we want to make a confession right now. We want to be in on the Great Commission. As a body of believers, we don't want to be bypassed when it comes to the Great Commission of going into all the world and preaching the gospel. Father, when I think of the millions of people, over half of the people in this world, over two billion have never even heard the name of Jesus yet. Lord, get us involved in the Great Commission. I'm not the least bit concerned, Father, that we're going to give too much to missions. I'm concerned that we're going to get ingrown. And I know that as we give, it's going to come back to us, multiplied many times over. And let us begin this week, Father, put in our hearts the faith to believe you for a miracle. The faith to let that miracle just be followed by many other miracles that you're going to do through this body of believers. We declare that Satan is a liar. He's not going to get the victory. We're going to see the power of God manifest in this body. We're going to see the gifts of the Spirit manifesting and flowing. We're going to see the Spirit of God set free in this body. We're going to see a flowing of the gifts of the Spirit. We're going to see a response of the ministry within this body to where we're going to come together and flow with the gifts as you've given them to this body, even as you did in the book of Acts. We're not going to be satisfied anything less, Father. We hunger and we thirst for that. And your word says that we shall be filled. In Jesus' name, I ask that you'd put a greater hunger in our hearts, 
a greater hunger than ever before that this would be so in our midst, that Jesus Christ can be glorified. In his name we ask it and for his sake. Amen. I said several Sundays ago that when God created the earth and the heavens and then created all the creatures on the earth and created man, that God spoke to Adam and gave him power of attorney over the earth. He said that he was to have dominion over it, he was to subdue it, he was to name all the creatures on the earth, the birds, the fowl, the fish, name all supernatural abilities and powers that Adam had. Adam received the power of attorney, and when Satan caused Adam and Eve to fall, Scripture teaches us that Satan took from Adam the power of attorney over the earth and became known at that time as the prince of the power of the air, the prince of this world, and the god of this world. And when Jesus came, the Scripture says that he came to fulfill what the first Adam lost. He was to reclaim what the first Adam lost. As in Adam all died, so in Christ shall all be made alive. And when Jesus Christ came, Satan spoke to Jesus Christ in the wilderness and declared to him what he could do for him if he'd bow down. And he said, there's only one thing I can bow down to. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou worship. And Jesus did not fall, and Jesus did not sin. Therefore, Satan had no dominion, no claim on him whatsoever. And when he died for the sins of the world, and he descended into hell, taking our sins with him, his blood was transported to the heavenly mercy seat, and was received in our behalf in God's sight as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And when Jesus rose, he broke the power of Satan and established a new kingdom in this world, which is the kingdom of God. Now he says, you are no longer citizens of this earth, you are citizens of the heavenly kingdom. You're only pilgrims passing through. You're my representative. You're my ambassadors in a foreign kingdom. Satan still is the prince of the power of the air, but God has established us as citizens of a new kingdom. And when he arose from the dead, he told us that we were going to have power and authority. You see, the scripture says, as was our text, 1 John 3, 8, for this purpose the Son of Man was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And he did what he came to do. When he was on the cross, he said, it's finished. And when he rose from the dead, he said, all power and all authority is given unto me. Now you go as my representatives into all the world. And as you're going, preach the gospel. And he talked about the signs that would follow them. And as we read and listen to what Jesus said during his high priestly prayer, he said, I'm not praying just for those that are believing me right now, but those that shall believe through them. He says, as the Father hath sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. He said later on, the works that I do, even greater works than these shall they do that believe on my name. Does that sound like power and authority? Jesus said to his disciples when he sent them out two by two, Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. Let me ask you something. Why would Jesus give to his disciples in the first century power that he would deny us today? He said in the last days it's going to get what? Worse and worse. Evil men are going to become worse and worse. If ever there's a time that the church needed power and needed authority, it's today. But he said, that power I'm going to give you and the authority that I'm going to give you is not going to be carnal power and authority. You remember that Peter whipped out his sword when, when they came to take Jesus and lopped off the ear of one of the servants, and Jesus just reached out and put that ear right back on and healed him instantly. He said, they that live by the sword shall die by the sword, and this earthly kingdom is not my kingdom. I have another kingdom. 
and it's a heavenly kingdom. He said the weapons that we have are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and knocking down everything that opposes itself against the knowledge of God. It's a spiritual thing, and I believe more and more we need to get our eyes off of the outward signs and evidences of sin and go to the root cause, Satan. The problem is there are a lot of Christians today that know they're saved, but they have no concept whatsoever of the power and authority that Jesus Christ has given to them, and so Satan's not too concerned or worried about it. Would you look with me at James, the fourth chapter, and the seventh verse, to see the double key to victory for saints? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Now, do you notice something? That there's a requirement and then a promise. A requirement and then a promise. Draw nigh to God, that's the requirement, and he'll draw nigh to you. That's the promise. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. That's the requirement. And here's the promise, what? And he shall lift you up. Look at verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The only time Satan will flee from God's servants is when they take the power and authority that is theirs and begin to activate it, begin to use that authority that has already been given to them. Let me just ask you, what is the saint's constitution and basis of authority? We talked about the fact that the United States has the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. By those documents, we know what we can do and what we cannot do as a nation. People in the government say, you have no right to do that, Mr. President. How do they know? We have a constitution, we have a Bill of Rights that tells us exactly what can be done and what cannot be done, and they're talking about making amendments to the constitution all the time today. Well, they know what they've got to do in order to change the government. But you know, the Christian has a constitution and a basis of authority also, and it is the Word of God, signed with the blood of Jesus, who said, all power and all authority is given unto me. This is not just reading material. This is our new covenant agreement, our constitution, our basis of authority. The one wonderful thing about it is you don't have to worry about any amendments being made to it. It is forever settled in the heavens. You don't have to worry about going anywhere on the earth where you run out of its authority. You know, some people are in another state and they've committed a crime in Florida and they try to extradite them into Florida and they fight that extradition because Florida can't get at them where they are. I want you to know that there's nowhere we can go that we get out from under the authority of this. That's our constitution and there's no person on the face of the earth that's out from under the authority of this constitution. We're in the kingdom of God right now. We are living in the kingdom of God. We exist and have the power and authority of the kingdom of God. And the day is coming when that kingdom shall be established upon the earth and in heaven. And then every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right now, just those that are willing to do it are going to do it. But there's going to come a day when those that would not bow their knee will bow their knee. And that's the basis of our authority. And there is no greater force on earth than what is right here. Thus saith the Lord. It is written. Jesus, time and time and time again on earth, when things he would come up against the, the powers of darkness, he would say, it is written, and he never got an argument. If we'll know this as believers, that here is authority, then victories are going to begin to come to us. Now understand something. When you come against an enemy, he's going to do everything he can to try to dissuade you from thinking that your weapon has any effect whatsoever. And the enemy's going to do everything he can to make you and me believe that we have no authority and that we can't do damage with the Word of God, but the Word of God tells me that we can. God has given 
to saints an anti-Satan device, an anti-Satan defense system, and Satan cannot penetrate it if we'll use it. Now understand that that's the authority that's ours. The kingdom of darkness cannot penetrate that weapon and that system if we'll cause it to operate as God says so. Uh, the weapon is this. 1 John 5.4. What weapon can you use? There's only one defensive weapon that Christians can use. This is the victory that overcometh the world. This is the winning thing, isn't it? This is the one that makes you a winner. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even Christ's faith. Let me just say to you, he's not saying this is the victory that overcomes the world, just saying, I believe. There's a vast difference between believing and having faith. Satan believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but he doesn't have saving faith in him. Some years ago, I heard the story of the man who stretched a cable across the Niagara Falls, and he got on that cable with a wheelbarrow and walked all the way across and all the way back. And everybody was cheering. They thought it was just a phenomenal thing that he did to walk that tightrope all the way over and all the way back. And he said, how many of you believe I can do that again? And everybody raised their hand. He says, you really believe I can do that again? Oh, yes. He says, fine. He said, which one of you will get in the wheelbarrow when I go this time? Well, their hands went down in their pockets real quickly. They believed in him, but they didn't believe for themselves, for him. The difference between faith and belief is when you have faith in someone, you rest and trust in them completely. Oh, they believed that he could do it again, but they didn't believe to the extent that they were going to put themselves on the line for it. And faith is not just saying, I believe. It's beginning to place your total dependence upon the authority of what God's Word says. Faith is the weapon. By the way, it is a defensive weapon. It is not an offensive weapon. Faith is a defensive weapon. We've got to find out what the defensive weapon is first and what the offensive weapon is of the Christian. And faith is the defensive weapon. Look at Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's defensive, isn't it? Stand against it. If somebody's coming against you, you defend yourself against it. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now get this next one. Above what? Above all. Now, if you miss everything else, don't miss this. Above all, he's putting emphasis on this. Above all, taking, taking, that's a verb, isn't it? It denotes action. Taking the shield of faith. Now, you know a shield is not something you go around beating people over the head with, is it? It's a defensive weapon. Something you use to fend off the fiery darts of the enemy, it says in the Scripture. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Your faith, if you have faith and it's in the book, it's not going to do you any good if it's sitting on the table somewhere. You can have all the faith in God's Word you want to, but if it's left in the closet, it's not going to do you any good. If it's just inside the pages and you haven't gotten it down into your heart, it hasn't become an active faith for you yet. But this is the defensive weapon that God has given to Christians to be lifted up and turned toward the enemy. This faith that God says, 
faith in the Word of God, what the Word of God says, what your position is according to the Word of God. As Jesus said, it is written. He put up his shield of faith. It is written over and over again. He turned it right toward the enemy. When Satan came over here, I don't believe Jesus said, it is written. I believe he turned right to him and said, it is written. And he began to declare his faith. Of course, I know the first question somebody asked, well, Brother Webb, what direction do I do it in? When Satan comes around, what direction am I going to do it in? Well, if you can just remember this one thing, it'll help, I think. Satan can only attack us in one place, just one place. And every time he comes against you, you put the shield up before that place, and you will begin to see victory in your life. Satan can only attack you and I in our minds. Now, get this. All your life, Satan has come to you and whispered suggestions to you. He can't force you to do anything until you open yourself up to where you finally allow yourself to become controlled through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, or the pride of life. But generally speaking, the only way he can have an influence on you is to come and make suggestions to you. If you have not girded up the loins of your mind and begun to understand what authority you have as a Christian, he just keeps giving suggestions. You're not going to make it this month financially. There's just no way you're going to make it. You might as well give up. Why don't you, when you and your husband comes home tonight, just tell him to forget it. You're just through. You're not going to go back to church because financially you've just had it. You know, there's no sense in going to church. What good does it do to go to church and have faith? We've tithed. We've done all these things. And all these thoughts will start going through your mind and they'll get you discouraged. And you sit there and you just say, go on, pour it on, devil. Just pour it on. Yeah, you're right. Oh, pour me. Whoa, it's me. Oh, I'm so pitiful. I'm just so miserable. Yeah, I know. I'm just going to go off and just eat. I'm just going to get down in the basement and stay there. Now, what have we done? Satan has come with suggestions. He will come to young people and say, look, it's very important that you be popular in high school. Now, be popular, you know, if you're going to really be popular with that really nice guy over there, that, that handsome guy that all the girls admire, you need to go to these keg parties with him. I mean, you can't be in with a bunch unless you go to the keg parties with him. Or go off to this, or go off to that, and the other. Now, I know you want to be popular. I know it. There's nothing wrong. What's wrong with popularity? That old narrow preacher at your church. And you begin to just let these things flow. Think about it. The only way the enemy has to get to you and me is through our consciousness. He will bring suggestions to you. Fellas, you're driving down the street, and some pretty girl happens to walk along. And all of a sudden, you find yourself driving like this. And as you go on down the road, he won't scream at you. He'll just suggest little things to you. And if the shield of faith is not up, and if your guard is not ready, those thoughts are going to go through your mind. And before you know it, Satan will have you to a place where you've already committed adultery in your mind. Now, that's the way he works. No, he never grabs you by the chin and says, look. He never twists your arm and says, you've got to do that. He just suggests something to you. That's how you create a sewer. Even society has a filtration system so that when the stuff comes through the sewage and goes back out into the streams and the lakes, at least it's filtered out. And God says that there has to be a filtration system to where Satan can only attack you and me through our mind. You want to know something? That's the way the Spirit of God is going to come to you. He's going to speak through your spirit into your consciousness and tell you truth. You and I make the deciding vote as to who we're going to obey. I'll just try to give you an example here. Let's say that you're walking down the street and you find a billfold lying here on the sidewalk. Nobody's around. You look all around. You pick it up. You take it over and you get in your car and you open it. And there is $3,000. Oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, you know how I've needed that. And immediately it starts in. I could pay off that doctor bill, and I could get some groceries in the house. I could get this fixed. I could get that fixed. I get the other thing fixed. And you look through, and at first you don't see any name or anything. And then you open one little pocket, and you pull it out. This billfold belongs to such and such. The devil says, nobody saw you. 
Spirit of God says, Thou shalt not steal. Do unto others as you'd have others to do unto you. Thou shalt not covet. Boy, I need that money. It'd really help me. In fact, it, most times it'll say, Boy, you need that money. You really need that money. And you see what's happening? A warfare takes place in your mind. You cast the deciding vote. And the attack is going to come in your mind. That's what Romans 12, 2 is all about. Don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold. By the renewing of your mind that you may prove that that which is of God is good and acceptable and perfect. Get your mind renewed by the Word of God. Now, this is such a crucial point for Christians to understand. The shield of faith does not work automatically. It becomes an act of our will. It says, put on, put on the whole armor of God. And God says, let me tell you, when you get up in the morning, you just depend on it. The devil is sitting there waiting for that day to see where he's going to be able to find a chink in your armor. And so you need to get your shield of faith established to be able to come against him. Now, the shield of faith is not enough, though. You hold up the shield of faith by the word of God, and then you have to use your offensive weapon. And it's a powerful weapon. Ephesians 6, 17. And take the helmet of salvation, that's to protect your mind, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, here's going to be the difference. Some people say, oh, Brother Webb, I'm just going to stay close to Jesus because then there won't be any trouble close to Jesus. The closer I get to Jesus, the nicer and the easier it's going to be. Boy, have I got news for you. The Word of God says that Paul the Apostle walked in the Spirit all along through his life. If you want to get a little repertoire of his experiences, get into the book of Corinthians there and find out what happened to the Apostle Paul when he stayed right close to Jesus. The closer you get to Jesus, the harder the devil is going to try to fight you because he wants to destroy those and try to discourage those that try to get closer to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying get further away from Jesus. I'm just saying don't believe the lies of the devil that all you and I have to do as Christians is just try to snuggle up closer to Jesus because that doesn't do a thing to the enemy. He is still the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of the darkness of this world, and his army is arrayed in such a way when he sees someone getting closer to Jesus and the world doesn't destroy them, he'll start getting Christians criticizing him because they're becoming religious fanatics. Well, I'll just study the Word of God. I'll just read the Word and read the Word and read the Word. I'll get the victory that way. Nowhere does it say by reading the Word you're going to be able to have victory in your Christian life. Now, I'm not discouraging from reading the Word. But if I went to the doctor and I had a disease and the doctor says, if you'll take this medicine, it'll help you. It'll get rid of that disease. And I went home and just kept reading the label. Would that help me? Oh, I'm so glad three times a day and I'm here. Three times a day. That's not going to heal me, is it? A lot of people say, I'll just read the Word of God, and by that I'm going to have victory. The Word of God, as the sword of the Spirit, in conjunction with the shield of faith, only has an effect when it's spoken toward the enemy. Now understand that. The Word of God is not just to be read, it's to be hidden in our hearts. So when the enemy comes toward us in our mind, coming against our thoughts, to try to get us to do things or say things we ought not to do or say. The shield of faith goes up to know that we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We've been sent to destroy the works of the devil. And we turn right to the enemy and say, In the name of Jesus it is written, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. That's what it says in the Word of God. The Word of God says I am not to be jealous of someone else. The Word of God says that I am not to covet my neighbor's possessions and things. I'm not going to open myself to these things. Memorize those things. Get them down in your heart so when Satan comes, you can say, Satan, it is written, thou shalt not do thus and such, and I am a child of God, I am a believer, and you will not get me in that area. Father, I'm going to resist the devil, I'm submitting myself to you, and by faith I'm holding up that shield, 
He's not going to get at me because it is written and I'm going to stand on the word of God. Now, you have the defensive weapon of the shield of faith, knowing that when you say the word of God as the sword of the spirit, that the word says Satan will flee. When Satan throws his accusations against you, you've got the shield of faith to stop them with. And my position in Jesus Christ is that I have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, yes, but what did you say yesterday to sister such and such? If Satan comes against you with an accusation, stop for a moment and say, is that a valid accusation? He's the accuser of the brethren. Satan, you're right. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I'm going to that sister right now and ask her to forgive me. Will you please forgive me? That was not Christ-like. Yes, they don't blame the Lord. That was me. Will you please forgive me for what I said to you? I didn't mean to harm you. I didn't mean to injure you. And I don't want to give the devil an open door in my life. Will you please forgive me? Now, Father... The Word of God says that if I confess my sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Thank God I'm forgiven, I'm cleansed, that's under the blood, never be remembered, something's not going to work. It is written that he forgives and cleanses from all unrighteousness. I've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And that's where the enemy gets so many people when they've gone out and maybe they've failed and sinned against God in the past. They've come to God for forgiveness. God has forgiven them, but they haven't forgiven themselves. And Satan comes and says, you miserable creature, you, how can you testify? How can you witness? What makes you think you have any rights whatsoever? And you can just let him drive you right into the ground until you hold up the shield of faith and said, I have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's written in the word of God and I believe the word of God. Now, Satan, you're not going to get me. I have confessed that sin to Jesus and I forgive myself in the name of Jesus. You're not going to get any victory there either. I had someone come to me just recently and say uh, a loved one is telling me, you Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. Why? You do this, and you do that, and you explode, and you do all these things. I said, well, maybe the Lord is allowing that person to bring you to the place where you're going to have to deal with sin and keep short books with God. For example, if you've exploded to someone in the house when that person's around, and he said, look, you're a hypocrite, turn right around to him, and don't give the enemy an opportunity to cause that person to stumble or you to get defeated. Say, you're absolutely right. Don't blame the Lord. You blame me for that. I've been asking the Lord to take that out of my life because the Word of God says, be angry and sin not. And that was sinful anger. And I don't want you to blame the Lord. Will you please forgive me? I'm asking God to forgive me. Will you please forgive me? I don't want my life to be like that. Father, I accept your forgiveness in the name of Jesus. The enemy tries to get an open door when we fail God. And when the non-Christian sees us fail God, it allows him immediately to have a tremendous release because he says, see... Years doesn't work either. You're a phony. And now he can live with blame. But if you can turn to him and say, you are right. I broke God's commandment. I failed. Will you please forgive me? I want God to forgive me. Don't blame the Lord for this. Will you please forgive me? Now do you know what happens? He comes back to the position of guilt. That person's forgiven and they know they're forgiven and they've asked me to forgive them. I've got to forgive them. And now, where do I go with my sin? Where do I go with my wrongdoings? They found a solution. They found a source of forgiveness. I haven't. If you go to them and say, will you please forgive me? You're right. You're absolutely right. You know what the word says evidently, that I shouldn't have exploded like that. Will you please forgive me? But Satan intended it for evil and God made it for good by being obedient to the word, holding up the shield of faith, claiming forgiveness, and humbling yourself. Humble yourselves in the sight of God. Heal what? Lift you up. That's right. Then the enemy can't club you anymore, see? It's under the blood. And you can turn to him and say, it is written, if I confess, I'm forgiven, and I claim that forgiveness in Jesus' name.